The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. Healthy fruit trees produce so much amazing fruit for us humans to enjoy. But where do they get the energy to do that? The fruit trees feed us. But who feeds the fruit trees? Well, the answer is that we do. All fruit tree growers must feed their fruit trees to ensure that they have the energy to stay healthy and produce a healthy harvest. But here's the thing about fruit trees and nutrition. You feed your fruit tree, it uses up the energy, and then you have to feed it again at some point once that food is used up. That's just the way the world works. Now, fruit tree foods can include compost or well-rotted manure, and there are lots of other organic fertilizer options that you can learn about in my online course, Certificate in Fruit Tree Care, at orchardpeople.com workshops. But biochar. Biochar is different. Biochar isn't really a food source for your fruit tree. It's more like a, a food storage and delivery system. It does this by providing a long lasting and cozy space where beneficial soil microbes and soil nutrients can spend quality time together. The microbes process the nutrients and then make them available for your fruit tree. So in today's program, we are going to dig deep into biochar with my guests on today's show, Mark and Lori Mann of the American Biochar Company. Mark is an expert in forestry and agronomy, and Lori specializes in chemistry and biology, and they are going to explain what biochar is and how it works. But before we dig in, I want to hear from you, the listeners. If you are listening to this show live, you can send in a question or a comment for today's guests, or you can just email us to say hi. Once we get your email, we will enter you into today's contest. And today's prize is a six-gallon package of Vital Blend Biochar from American Biochar Company, valued at $29.95 plus shipping. 
With this prize, you'll be able to see how biochar works in your own garden. So to enter the contest, send your email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. So on the line, we have Mark Mann and Lori Mann. Thank you guys for coming on the show today. So nice to have you. Thank you, Susan. Good to be here. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Good. Okay. Well, let's get you working here, explaining some stuff about biochar. But first of all, Mark, let's start with you. Can you tell me a little bit about your company? Why were you so passionate to start it? And what roles do you and Lori play? Well, thank you for asking. Um, the, the idea of biochar came to me after a decade-long test plot in South Bend, Indiana, when I realized as I was looking at the uh, root system development with Dr. Chinny from Purdue University, but if we had some kind of a fixed carbon, we could probably solve the issue of poor soils in the urban environment forever. And that's what really started my search. And uh, that was in 1999, September, actually. And uh, Lori and I have been working together as, uh, as uh, husband and wife and business partners for ever, uh, 30 plus years. And uh, both companies, uh, both Plank Growth Management Systems and the American Biochar Company, has been focused on increasing the health of trees in the urban environment and organic environment. So that means agriculture, fruit trees, home trees, anything that grows. Turf. Including turf. Yeah. In including turf. Okay, great. So, Lori, now I know your background, you're, you're a teacher. Is that correct? You were a teacher. About 12 years. I taught chemistry and biology. Uh-huh. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I want to talk to you just for a minute or two, and I want you to explain to me what exactly biochar is. But I think what we're going to do is can I get you to pick up the phone that you're using for sound? Because we're cutting out a little bit. So keep yes. that close Okay. To that might be a All little right. better. Okay, so first of all, can you tell me what exactly is biochar? What is this thing that we, you know, crumbly stuff we're putting on our soil? What is it? Well, it is uh, the residue after pyrolysis of, of, of plant material. And specifically what we utilize is soft wood and we pyrolysize which is burning at very high temperature, rather fast, with very low to no oxygen. So it's different than combustion in that way. And it really cleans out the, um, the uh, volatile materials and they gas off. And what is left behind, as I had um, I've described before to people, is the lignin skeleton, the carbon structure, the fiber that makes up these trees. And everything else is out. And because trees specifically have so much vessels, we get this real porous stuff. So that's what really is left over is, is what I call the lignin skeleton with all those pores. Okay, so you're telling me that by 
sorry, I'm going to go back because I know where, where our sound might be cutting out a bit. And yeah, could I make a suggestion this- um, to, to Mark and Laura? If you could maybe, we're going to take you off a speakerphone. Um, is that possible? Because for some reason you're cutting sure. out. So if you could just use it as a regular phone. Um, I know that perhaps you won't be able to both monitor at once, but uh, Susan will tell you to, you know, move the phone when uh, Mark has it. We have a question for Mark as well. All right. I apologize about that. No problem. Go ahead. Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds so much better. Much better. Okay. Okay. So what we've got, so what we have here is we have biochar is basically wood burnt up at a very high heat. So it becomes a porous substance. Does it have to be wood or can you make biochar from other ingredients? You can. Uh, There is a wide range of things that they are making biochar with right now. Um, You can make it out of just like sawgrass or walnut shells. I know they use coconut shells um, and um, they've they've actually used um, biosolids and and actually trash um, um, that you know, is processed from cities. We're not crazy about those things. (laughs) What we prefer is um, soft wood and you can use uh, even hardwood like um, oak, but we prefer a pine because then it processes through, it burns through and completely uh, opens up those, those vessels that you find in the trees. Okay. They do the best on that. So each little granule, each little, little piece of biochar goes into, you, you sprinkle it, for instance, we'll talk about application a little later, but somehow it goes into the soil. I understand that it is not actually providing nutrition for your trees or the microorganisms. So why do we want it in our soil? Why is it good? Well, and I noticed you really did actually a very good job of that in your intro, and I appreciate that because I do think sometimes when people are thinking carbon, they're automatically thinking that it's a food source. And in this situation, as you well put it, um, you are the reason it's good for the trees, for the soil, uh, in, in whatever um, aspect is being used, is because it is changing the structure. It will last, Susan six to 800 years, it's going to be there in the soil that long. And while it's doing that, it's going to be um, uh, filled up, like you said, with microorganisms. It's going to hold water in the soil. It's going to hold air in the, in the soil. The reason our soils need this is because in the urban setting, it is so different than the natural setting. We're not creating structure in the soils as well. When we mow, we take away the grass. We may put in things like mulch and stuff, but that that is an active. Do you remember us talking about that at one point, Susan, when we talked about active versus fixed carbons? And and this fixed carbon that's going to stay there as as you know, like I mentioned, over 600 years, is going to keep creating uh, and supporting biology, which is actually it's the biology that actually improves the soil structure. We're just creating a structural opportunity. Can we use that later? (laughs) Yeah, I like, I like that. That sounds, that makes sense. It's kind of like, I see it like, for instance, in orchards, you often put up um, bird boxes because you want to attract certain types of birds to your orchard that will then um, eat the, uh, the pests 
insect pests that are mm -hmm. in the orchard. So in the same way we are creating with the biochar, we're creating some habitat in the soil to draw those microorganisms towards our fruit trees and our fruiting crops. So like I that find movie. That, like which movie? It, the Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. <laughs> I love, seen that. That one. <laughs> I, have, I love that. I have. I love that. Kevin Costner. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So does it matter? Like how is biochar different from what my husband uses on the barbecue? He uses charcoal and in his barbecue, can I take that charcoal, crunch it up into pieces and throw it in my soil? Will that do the same thing as biochar? Mark and I used to do that too. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not going to get the same kind of response. First of all, um, the ash is very high. It is very basic. So that's not really healthy for um, soils. Actually, soils do better on a slightly acidic side, and that has everything to do with making the metals that are naturally in there, calcium, potassium. Uh, you need a slightly acidic um, soil situation to make those available for the plants. So First of all, you're making it very basic, uh, alkaline. Uh, second of all, uh, the, the charcoal, and a lot of the charcoal, you, you, you get something that you're putting in your grill, that's going to have chemicals in it anyway. I wouldn't want that. Uh, and lastly, the pores are not there. It's not the same kind of a thing. So it's an incomplete burning. It's in a, not porous, and, and it's not consistent, the charcoal. You know, from grills and things like that. So those are the reasons why I personally don't think it's comparable. Okay, quick email. We've got an email here from Lisa. And Lisa says, hi, Susan, very interesting topic today. I would love to try this biochar at the San Romano Orchard. So Lisa is one of my former students here in Toronto, and there's a wonderful oh. orchard that we set up. So maybe she will be the winner of today's prize. She is now officially entered into the contest. Thank you, Lisa, for listening in and for writing. Okay, let's talk about the size of the pieces of biochar. It goes through the burning process. Does the burning process then turn it into a powder, um, some sort of you know granule? Does the size of the pieces of biochar even matter? That's a good um, question. Um, we are, our biochar that we utilize is like a rough coffee ground. And, and I think that's a good size. You don't want it too large because you want to make sure that you have enough of it broken down small enough that the surface area that's there's just, you know, all those pores and everything are easily gotten to too big. And it's going to take a lot longer uh, for um, organisms to get in there and populate the area. Uh, too small, and it can actually, um, well, it does several things. Uh, interesting when it's powdery. Um, and that is, first of all, it can um, move through the soil quicker and not stay in the location you want. There's a certain size. Ours is a 0.5 to 2.0 millimeters in size with a slight range. Sometimes you find a little bigger, sometimes a little smaller, but, but the average is ranges around there and a, re, a really small powder can actually, and this is interesting, can actually release water that it holds a lot faster and make it a little bit hydrophobic, not wanting, it will resist water. And the whole point is to have a large enough that uh, a, a granular 
um, granule that will hold some water in it. And ours, by the way, if I may, you know, our biochar has a, more than 20, 25% water. And, and it's interesting because you could feel it and it doesn't feel wet. Mm-hmm. And, but you do want a little bit of moisture. And the smaller the particles, the harder the amount of moisture is held into it, if that makes sense. And then if you can't hold it, you know, just normal in the soil, it's not going to do much better. So we believe that the size does matter and that our size is a pretty good thing, uh, size to go toward. So we have loads of emails. We have loads of emails coming in right now. I'm going to go through them. Um, Camille is one person and Camille didn't send in a message or where she's from, but she wants to enter the contest. I'm thinking we've got another one here, unless they're all from Camille. I don't see. Nope. There's another one. I think from Camille, unfortunately, Camille, you can only enter the contest once. Okay. We've got a question here from Kaylin. Where's Kaylin from? She does not say. She says, where does biochar come from? Is it renewable like peat moss or is it renewable or like peat moss? Is there a limited amount of it? What oh, she knows question. her peat moss, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to just answer this one? Oh, how about it? Okay. Um, wonderful question. Uh, it does come, ours comes from wood. And actually, you, you do a better job of explaining how we get that wood. I'd love it if you would talk to them about that, Mark. All right. Well, this is what we do. Uh, we don't believe in growing trees to cut them down to make biochar. That makes zero sense whatsoever. So all the southern yellow pine that we use is the what we call bird's nest, the things that can't be used for timber production. So there's zero waste in what we're doing. In fact, we're accumulating what would have been wasted and we're producing a high quality biochar with the wood waste. So yes, and and I agree, but I assume that the question is peat moss obviously is not renewable over thousands of years it could be, but this is something we're trying to do. We're very conscious of the fact that we're trying to do something that is beneficial to the environment from point zero to point 100. Sounds good. Okay, question. Another question for one of you guys. Does biochar amend to the soil have any effect on the taste of fruits and vegetables? That is from Cliff. Oh, yes, you may. Yes. Yes, that's a one-word answer. Good. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to be facetious. Uh, (laughs) Yes. In fact, um, I'm going to grab... We, we made sure that we had a couple um, uh, numbers to throw at for you, Susan. And um, so one of the things we see um, is that the nutritional aspect, and, and I'm going to, well, let's, let me just say this. We did some testing on some blueberries with and without utilizing our, our product, the biochar. And um, this is what we came out with. And this was not even a full season use. This was a late season use. And we believe that we'll see even a more improvement every year that it's getting an opportunity mm-hmm. to be utilized in the soil. So if the plant is doing better, and to be honest with you, Susan, what's really happening is if the soil microbes, at the root area, the rhizosphere of the plant is doing well. It will utilize things, um, the nutrients and everything else better. 
it will be a less stressed plant too. And what they found in the blueberries that we had nutritional tests done on, this is crazy. First of all, there was a 3% increase in sugar. Now that doesn't seem like much, but it was enough to make a difference. This is going to be sweeter. We also saw 33% increase in dietary fiber. Yay. And we also saw 125% increase in protein for blueberries. I actually didn't realize that blueberries had that kind of protein, but they do. And then lastly, for blueberries, this is very important, blueberry, blueberry, blueberry growers, really, they actually get paid based on the nutritional value. And one of the things was that we had a 11% increase in antioxidants for blueberries. So, um, you know, you're going to have a range, you're going to have some blueberries that maybe really need a lot more support in the soil, and you're going to have a bigger difference, and maybe some others that are doing really well. But to, to answer that in a, a mathematical way, Yes, it does improve the nutrition, and therefore, I can assume the taste. I think that it allows the plant, Mark and I are real strong believers, that um, fruits and vegetables used to taste better a long time ago when they were less dependent upon the synthetics mm -hmm. that we do now. We do believe that, and by doing, by you know, enhancing the soil microbiology and, and adding things uh, that way, we're going to produce a better plant across the board. So just a quick clarification, we got lots more questions to go through, but quick clarification, you put the biochar on when and when did you actually test the quality of the harvest? Does it take a year to improve the quality? Does it take three years? Um, well, first of all, the, the test that we did, we did it um, uh, in June. And a lot of times uh, soil amendments are added much sooner than June because that's a good question you're asking, number one. And we tested at the end of the harvest, at that harvest of that particular year. Hmm. So it was more limited. And but so then the next year you would do applications. And I do want to say, and we talked about this briefly, Susan, a while back, we put on there our biochar blend, not biochar by itself. And that's something I know that you and I talked about once, um, you know, earlier on in regards to the importance of blending. So, so I hope that answers your question though about it, the fruit. It answers my question. And we are definitely going to talk about the biochar blend and the idea that biochar alone may not actually help your plants, that you need to mix it with something else. But let's go through, we got a couple more questions and then I promise you, we will get to that. Okay, we've got a question from Julie from Scarborough, Ontario. I put in a few bare root trees last spring, including two pawpaws and a quince. When is the best time to apply biochar and how? Well, Julie gives us an excuse to talk about application. Thank you, Julie. So what would you say? Sure. Okay. All right, on the when to apply it, now you already have them in the ground. It's best, if you can, to apply it in the granular form during planting. And so you would set the plant or the tree as you normally would in the hole after you properly prepare it. And then after you start filling that hole in to support the tree, then you ring it with a, a charged biochar. You can you finish the, the hole up, up to about the top one third, and then you want to focus on applying it the top six inches of the soil, and then seat the plant in properly, watered in, and then and then spread the charged carbon or the biochar around the top of the plant. 
you want to be able to to get that biology in that soil really active in the top six to eight inches of the soil. So that's the best way to apply it if you're using a granular form. Now, again, what if they already have things? And I want to ask again here. So does do are you applying the biochar by itself or are you mixing it with compost or something else? Because, yeah. That's a good question, Susan. And and if you apply biochar by itself, because of, of how good it is at doing what it does, it will literally suck everything it can suck out of the soil to charge itself. So if you put naked char, uncharged, we call it naked char, uncharged biochar on the ground, yes, it will do a good job of mending soil over a period of time. But oftentimes it actually does, it draws more micronutrient nutrients, in other words, um, things the plant needs to grow away from the tree or the plant or that first year, sometimes two years. So it, so if you're applying it by itself, it's not always as, well, in fact, it would never be as beneficial as a charged carbon. And you could charge it with something like compost. If you had a high quality compost, you could do the same thing we're doing. Mature. Okay, great. So let's talk about that. This is our excuse uh, to talk about charging biochar. It's a fancy word, isn't it? To charge your biochar. Simplify it for us. Does it just mean mixing it with something else? Is that what charging means? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And um, so what we're talking about, like Mark said, um, a good biochar is going to be highly porous. So you want to put it into the soil mixed with something. Um, we have found that if you put biochar first and then put something on top of it, it doesn't do as well. It's better to put, say, let's just say a mature compost. And I emphasize mature compost, Susan, because sometimes people put on compost and it's green or it's incomplete it's, it's, uh, and it's not small enough to actually be active. The organisms literally have to do a lot of work just to get it to the condition to utilize. Mm -hmm. So I, I do like to emphasize mature compost. And there's lots of different kinds of compost out there, manures and things like that. Whatever someone is, is, uh, has as a favorite. Um, you can do that. You can, um, you can blend it. You can do it with fertilizers. You can do it with fertilizers. Mm -hmm. um, you can do it with what we like. We like humate. We take humate, which is a raw mine. It's a superficial mind pulled material that is from long time ago, thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, the United States was covered with freshwater seas. And then it left behind these veins of um, uh, dead and decaying plant and animals. And so now it's gone through decomposition, you know, years and years, thousands of years, like I mentioned. And we actually blend ours with that. And so some of the smaller things get into the pores. Some of it's just available, but it ends up um, creating also with the moisture. It creates a, a, um, a, a blend that the biochar is already partially filled with what it's trying to do naturally. Interesting. That so that makes sense. So what I want to, I'm going to summarize, we're going to go to a commercial break to thank our wonderful mm -hmm. sponsors who make this show possible. Um, but before we do, I just want to check. So I see biochar as this, these granules that have lots of teeny tiny holes in them. 
these holes are going to be five-star accommodation for mm -hmm. microorganisms in the soil and the holes sort of suck in and draw in nutrients, the exact nutrients mm -hmm. that the microorganisms want. So it's like a five-star hotel where you have an all-you-can-eat buffet in every single room. That's what it's like, right? The buffet is- And water. And water. And air and accommodations. Yeah. Do they have bathrobes in every little hole for each of the little <laughs> microorganisms? Yes, yes they do. <laughs> Only the quality biochar though. <laughs> Only the quality biochar. Okay, we've got lots more to talk about. We've got um, so many examples that I want to talk about with you guys. But let's go to a little commercial break. Are you guys okay holding on the line for just a couple of minutes? Sure. Okay, don't go anywhere. We got lots more to talk about. Lots more questions as well from listeners. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we'll be back right after this break. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to EarthAliveCT.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca.
Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In today's show, we are talking about biochar, which is a charcoal-like substance that's made by burning organic material. And in the first part of the show, we explored what biochar is and how it works. But now I'd like to understand what biochar's benefits are and how we have seen that in real life examples. And so my guests today are Mark and Lori Mann of American Biochar Company. Mark is an expert in forestry and agronomy, and Lori's expertise is chemistry and biology. But before we continue, I would love to hear from you, the listeners. If you are listening to this show live, do send in a question or a comment for my guests, or just email us to say hi, and we will enter you into today's contest. Today's prize is a package of the Vital Blend Biochar from American Biochar Company valued at $29.95 plus shipping. To enter the contest, send your email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. So before we talk about some concrete examples, I've got some other good questions here from listeners. Here is the question from Cameron. I don't know where Cameron is from. Cameron says, what is the role of wood vinegar in maintaining the health of wood vinegar, wood vinegar in maintaining the health of tree crops? And how can we make biochar and its associated byproducts, byproducts more affordable and accessible for farmers? It seems that there is a growing interest in the subject, but cost remains an obstacle to higher adoption rates. Let me take that one. Um, sure. All right. Wood vinegar is a very interesting byproduct of creation of uh, biochar through paralysis. And uh, there's been a lot of work done with that. It looks like it's going to be a, a really good source of food for the biology in the soil. Um, but of course, that's a byproduct of the production of uh, biochar through pyrolysis. Uh, as far as the making it more affordable for the ag industry. That's where we actually created a different product other than our granular form of biochar because it was too, it wasn't cost effective to put out the amount of granular biochar the farmers just couldn't do it. So uh, a few years ago, I designed another form of biochar, uh, which we may or may not have time to talk about today. But uh, with that form, we can go down to as little as uh, uh, one and a half to two gallons of this liquid form of biochar per acre. Now, it's a blend. It's, a, it's, it's not pure biochar. It's 
and that's a charged carbon. Mm -hmm. So that means that now we're down to a point where with the increase in the harvest yield of soybean, cotton, corn, that kind of thing, that we can actually entice the farmers into using it because they can actually make a profit. Well, and to take it to another level, too. The nice thing is and that we have conversations with not just um, farmers, um, uh, but the input can be reduced, Susan, because all those pores can hold the, the material and you don't have as much leaching, whether it's synthetic or not, on fertilizers and other inputs. There is less necessary, and, and you've gone as far as to say, drop your inputs by 50%, drop it down to even 25%. Now, people are a little nervous about doing that. And we've had people who are like, well, I'll just do a little bit. But even like in Rancho Cordova in California, um, they, they have seen once they start using it, they, they, their, their trust in reducing input occurs. And, and so with, by using biochar and a biochar blend, they can reduce other inputs as well. So there's also that cost savings. You get what I'm saying? It's not like a necessarily an add-on so much as a, as a re, um, readjustment of where you're putting your, your input. Gotcha. So basically what you're saying is you, yes, you do have to pay for biochar. No, it is definitely not cheap if you're doing a whole farm, but hopefully you will compensate by not having to use as much fertilizer and stuff. And I guess time really will well, tell. And, you know, yeah. And Susan, we did observe that some, some biochars are a little bit more expensive than others. Ours is not um, inexpensive because it's a higher quality. And of course you're going to get better results from a higher quality. But, but um, I, I think that um, I haven't always gotten the feel that people thought it was as expensive as I think they might've anticipated. And maybe um, depending on who he was talking to, maybe things are a little bit different on that. Producing your own, there's a lot of really good ideas on how to do it yourself, because that was a question too, if I remember. He had a lot of questions in that, that whole thing. Um, uh, but um, you can do that. Uh, I have found that some people who've started doing that or blending theirs have not always been real crazy about it with the time required. Um, but um, if they wanted to, there's some really good um, uh, resources that they can go to the international IBI or the USBI, that's the United States Biochar Initiative. And I, in fact, at the end, if you ask us, we'll be glad to give um, information for them to go and look at these other resources and how to do what Mark and I call more boutique type biochar um, creation. And how, and how to make your own. And it's funny because right here on my desk, I have a book. <laughs> called, I haven't read it through yet, but it's called Gardening with Biochar, Supercharge Your Soil with Bioactivated Charcoal. This is by Jeff Cox. If people want to look that up, Jeff C-O-X. So that'll have some instructions on how to make it yourself. And this guy is a real mm -hmm. proponent of that as an option. Um, there's another question here, and this one is from Lisa, who emailed us earlier. I like this question. She says, does soil type af uh, affect the effectiveness of char? And also separate to that, can the char actually make your soil more acidic or get your soil out of balance in terms of pH? Like, is it appropriate for every type of soil? 
All right. Well, it's both of them are excellent questions. And, you know, from my background and, and, uh, agronomy and forestry, these are the kind of things that we would ask all the time. Well, how is that going to change our soil? Because we understand that, a, a modification in the soil pH, for example, can have a drastic impact on certain species of trees. In this case, we literally used this product on every soil type, literally, across the United States. Uh, from uh, soils in Northern California to Tennessee, to Florida, to Michigan, to Indiana, even on the island of Waganov in Haiti. And it did not matter what soil type you put it on. It didn't matter about the if it was a high silt, if it was silty clay, if it was an aggregate uh, loam. It it makes zero difference. It, it's all about interacting with the soil biology. So whether it's a pure sand, as we did that on Florida uh, with Tropicana, or whether it's on a hard clay in Illinois. So it really makes no difference. And it, you cannot adjust the pH on the soil. You cannot. It will always go back to its original pH. Mm -hmm. You can modify it around the root zone, but not for a long term. And biochar does not do that. Biochar increases microbial populations, keeping the soil pH at basically what it what it started out as. Well, and if I may, I get actually, and I, I promise Susan, I won't, I won't go long on this, Susan. <laughs> but I get excited about this point because let's talk about in reality. So. So depending on what you're mixing with, the biochar has kind of a basic, it does have a slightly alkaline um, uh, a charge to, a pH to it. But that is, the amount that you're putting in is not going to overwhelm and change the, the, the soil itself that much, okay? It, it may at the beginning, but there's always an adjustment. And here's the reality of it. The soil and its pH, in reality, can be affected and maintained and changed more by the biology. The rhizosphere, that area of the soil around the roots actually changes in pH. If people were to actually do, uh, you know, kind of do a comparison and stuff, as a plant continues to grow through the season, it has different needs. It's at the beginning, the shoots. Later, it's, it's the flowers. Then it come, becomes fruit. Then it's the closing up and finalizing, et cetera. If you were to really look at the biology components, the different population percentages and numbers, and what was being produced, enzymes, et cetera, you actually have a slight change in the soils anyway, right in that space. And that's where it matters. Um, I'm, I get excited about that because the biology is being supported by that biochar. And Mark's tapping me saying, okay, Laura, you went deep enough. Stop now. <laughs> <laughs> We've got lots more questions. So I also wanted to ask, I've got a question. Well, first I'll go to Bev's question here. Boy, I want, I have a question too. But first Bev's question is, hi, Susan. My question is, does co, do co-generation plants, which burn wood chips to produce electricity, produce biochar that can be used for the vegetable garden? Thanks, Bev from Horn, Horn Pain. Great question. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. The uh, with cogeneration plants, um, unfortunately, they they are not always uh, a true pyrolysis plant. So they're they're using wood. They're burning it to completion. So unfortunately, that does not end up being a process. However, there are some. 
which you can call them cogeneration plants if you wanted to, that actually design specifically to create a biochar. And they also either create a hydrogen through that process process that can power a diesel, a modified diesel engine, or they can, or they can actually produce um, electricity through the, through heat. So there are different ways of doing it, but the original cogeneration plants, and we have a lot of them in California that I wish that we could use them to produce a really high quality biochar, but they just can't do it. It's not designed the same way. Yeah. And, and Susan, um, one of the things that, that this person, what was the person's name? Let's go back. That was Bev. Bev. What Bev needs to ask of, 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 of the cogeneration produced um, biochars, what feedstock was put in there? Because a lot of times, a lot of these are actually using landfill type stuff. It's diverting landfill, which is inconsistent. And so putting it in for, for the production of food, I, I personally, well, Mark and I both personally feel very strong about what you start with and its consistency. If it's, if it's you know, this week we got this and next week we're going to have a higher amount of something else. You're, you're not going to get the kind of consistency. So when you say, when you, you know, add so much per, you know, volume of soil or add so much per thousand square feet, you can't say that if it's not consistent in the beginning. That leads right into this wonderful question from Nancy from Goshen, Indiana. So Nancy says, you mentioned different types of material to be used for biochar. You said walnut shells, you said human waste, essentially human Science, waste yeah. or garbage. Um, is even, all, even chicken manure. Even chicken, chicken manure, manure is even used. So, so Nancy asks, is all biochar, regardless of source, considered organic or suitable for organic farming? No. And again, it does come back to what is, being, what is the feedstock and the process, but mostly the feedstock. Bi our biochar is OMRI listed. It is organic. You know, I don't know, Susan, if you're, um, you have ever talked about just how the term organic can be misused, by the way. You know what I mean when I say that, right? It, the, that term can be kind of misused. Ours is OMRI listed, so it is organic. And um, so it, it has to go through a, a lot of steps. There are different um, contaminants that can be found in biochar. Burning doesn't necessarily remove some of these things. So, for example, if, uh, thank you, if there was a wood feedstock, <coughs> excuse me, that was using uh, pallets and treated wood, uh, leftover, you would have you would have stuff showing up in the biochar at the end. So not every biochar, um, a, a, anything from manure biosolids that will not be OMRI listed. There are, there is in uh, OMRI listing requirements of what has to be starting out and the quality and the production. So I hope that answered that question. That's a great answer. And how about okay. let's take another few minutes. We will hear from our sponsors and then we'll have a few more questions and then we'll figure out who won the contest today because boy, the show is going very quickly. So can you guys hang on for just another minute or two? I what think, do you think you can. You think you can. Okay, excellent. 
Okay, super. Well, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the fruit tree education website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101. And I'm Susan Poisner. We will be back right after the break. Hi everyone, congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree. Fruit trees are a blessing. With just a bit of skilled hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada. And over the years, I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you, like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages, and sizes, how to optimize tree health, and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com, where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees. Or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care, where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed eBooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy growing from orchardpeople.com. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training Website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. 
author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. My guests today are Mark and Lori Mann of American Biochar Company, and they've been teaching us what biochar is and some of the benefits it provides. But how do you use it? Is there a right way and is there a wrong way? We'll learn about that next. But before we continue, there are just a few minutes left to enter today's contest to win a six gallon package of Vital Blend Biochar from American Biochar Company. It's valued at $29.95 plus shipping. So if you wanna enter the contest, now is the time to send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com and send in a question or a comment or just email us to say hi. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. Please remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. So Lori and Mark, um, I wanted to ask about the right and wrong ways to use biochar. Earlier when we were talking, you were talking about companies encouraging people to sprinkle the biochar on their grass. Um, what happens in a worst case scenario if you use it wrong? What would happen? And what is the right way to use it? Okay, worst case scenario is that you're, if it's on grass or if it's around a succulent plant or a small tree, you'll actually cause chlorosis in the leaves of the tree because you're literally um, not allowing the nutrients to get to the tree because it's literally charging the carbon. Now, that's if you go at a, at a, you know, a pretty high rate of application of uncharged carbon. If you go up very, very small amounts, you can mitigate that negative and get a positive out of that, but that that would take literally a couple of years to make that happen. So that's there's a positive, there's a negative to it. So Mark, Mark, would you ever use biochar in, if you were a fruit tree nursery or something, would you ever use it in a potted plant? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That the, the, if you if you went to as as little amount as um, by cubic volume uh, to as little as um, uh, probably down to five percent of biochar mixed into the growing medium, that would be a really good start. And would that be biochar? That that, biochar? that would be biochar. You could you could actually use biochar in a growing medium and it worked very well as a blend um, because you're going to be adding all the other things you're adding as a normal practice. So in, the, in that naked char, that, that biochar that's not charged acts as a holding point for all the nutrients and microbiology that you're adding too. So yeah, there's some really good reasons to add it too at, at a smaller amount. The other question that I wanted to ask is about using we talk about, and you mentioned early on, the biochar will last hundreds of years once you add it to your soil. Is it possibly a one-time application? Because again, it does cost money. Can you apply it once to your orchard, to your farm, and then let it go and let it do its work for the next 600 years? I think it's very possible. Right now, what we're finding is that uh, if we're on very marginal soils, very poor soils, that it may take up to two to three applications at higher rates to actually achieve your goal. If you are on a soil that's 
not bad, but you'd like to make it better, that I think you could get away from possibly doing one application or higher rate and literally say, I'm done. And, and then go back and feed the microbes with something more like, like a liquid humate or a compost tea or something like that. Mm-hmm. So once you have that base in the ground, I do believe that it may be possible to say, okay, we've, we've accomplished our goal. Let's move on. And, um, and when he says that, when he talks about several applications, you can just do one application a year. And you could even do something like a, a full application uh, suggested the first year, perhaps the next year, cut that in half. You don't have to do full amounts. And, but just like he said, it, it depends on what you're working with and what the, the problems of that soil might be. Interesting. Okay. So people listening to the show, we had lots of questions today. Lots of people may be interested in your product. There are other biochar products on the market. If they want to know more about the products that you provide, where do they go for more information and how would they actually order from you? Let me take care mm-hmm. of that. Well, we have a website. It's um, AM, AM for American, biochar for biochar.com. And so the first thing you can do is they can just go to that website and there's some information there as well. It's a it's still in progress and I'm, I'm adding different things all the time and they can go and see the products that we have. Um, they can order Susan directly from us uh, by either calling the office as the numbers provided there and or emailing us and we cut out the middleman. It's just directly sent to them. Do you also sell through stores or is it only through your website? And I know you go to certain uh, events throughout the year, if we ever have mm-hmm. big conventions and events again. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, we we do have some distributors uh, in uh, Tennessee and uh, Flor- some other places. Um, but And we sell locally right now in the Michigan area. So no, not yet. And, you know, when you do that, you start, you start actually adding costs to that. So we're, we're not real, you know, pushing real hard yet to do that. You guys seem very, very passionate about this. I know that you have been working uh, with, you know, agriculture and forestry for a long time. Why, what, what lit your fire about biochar? Why didn't you start a company doing something else? Why is this so important to you? You sound like my wife. (laughs) Actually, I've always been passionate about soils, and I knew that the soils were our life. And uh, I'm only, well, we're only 58 or so years old. I don't know. But but the, the point here is that we're old enough to watch the degradation of our soils. And it's disturbing. And it has been disturbing for me for almost 20 years. Very bothersome. So I knew that that we had to be part of a solution somehow. And the only way that I could, when I, you know, almost 20 years ago, when I realized that if we could find some way to to get a carbon source back in the soil, uh, that I knew that was going to be the answer. Now, did I know where we were going to end up with that? No, I didn't. But this is where we are right now. So, um I think my passion comes from the fact that I know that if we don't take care of our soils, our soils aren't going to take care of us. And one of the reasons that 
that we have so many, in my opinion, that we have so many health issues right now is because of the quality of food we're eating, which is exactly why we're, we're doing some work with missions groups in different parts of the world to actually get them food that is very, well, number one, they can actually grow something on the soils they're in, and they can actually eat something that's very nutritious. So that's that's our passion, and I'm very I'm I intend to do this until God calls me home. So <laughs> hopefully, you've got many many more years to go before that. So I'm going to call on Gary in the studio to tell us we've got um, lots of people who entered today's contest, and they're waiting to hear if they won. Gary, can you tell us? I uh, can, but let me. I got everything in a bucket here, as you can hear. Hang on, I'm gonna shuffle these up. And let me pull one of these out right now. And it looks like Nancy L. is the winner. Nancy. Oh, Nancy! <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Gary, for doing that. Mm -hmm. Nancy, I remember you asked a really good question. In fact, everybody asked great questions today. So Mark and Lori, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know there is so much more we could be talking about these incredible projects that you're supporting in Haiti. Um, maybe you'll come back one day um, but, and talk more about it. But I totally see the passion that you have for the work that you do. And everybody who listens to this show, we are passionate about fruit trees, about perennial crops. We want to make the world a better place and we want to help our beautiful planet. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan. You rock. Okay, thank you. All right. <laughs> so that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I really hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you want to listen again or download other episodes, you can find them all at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And if you want me to teach you some amazing fruit tree care skills, I would love to do so. So you can just sign up for one of my courses at orchardpeople.com workshops. The courses are wonderful for both beginner and intermediate level growers, or you can also check out my book at orchardpeople.com book. But that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. 
You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.